Well, good morning. morning. We are thankful that you are here this morning again. Before I go any further, Harrison just reminded me uh, there is a teen singing this afternoon at 2.30. We uh, forgot to mention that, but the teen singing is at Lafayette at 2.30. So for any of our young people that might be interested in attending that, we want to make sure to make that announcement now because it is is this afternoon. So we are thankful that you're here at this time for our worship hour as well. For those of you who may have been here for our Bible class hour, we're grateful for your presence. Hope that you've been encouraged by the study that we've had together. We say it sometimes, don't always remember to say it, but if there's anything that you have questions about from our service, our Bible class, anything that's said from the pulpit, or anything that you observed this morning that you have questions about or wonder why we do what we do or why we worship the way we worship, we would gladly take time to answer those questions and look together at God's Word to see what God has as His will for our lives and for our worship. We're thankful that you're here this morning, and if you have any questions, please let us know. We're thankful for so much that is going on uh, here at Saudi and all the things that we can be involved with. We hope that you'll look for a way to be involved with that. If you're a member here and if you're visiting with us as well, please be back with us every opportunity that you have. This morning in our lesson, we want to think about, did all the screens go off or am I, did my button not work here? There you go. All right. That may be a little hard for you to see there, but on the screen we have a picture of what happens at the end of almost every movie that you see nowadays, that you would watch if you go to the movies today. Did you know that the actual running time of a movie uh, actually includes the closing credits? Most of us don't think about that because... Many times when the closing credits pop up on the screen, we go ahead and exit the theater or we turn off the TV and we go about our life and we don't really pay any attention to the things that are in the closing credits. But those are important to a lot of people. They're included as part of the movie and it wasn't always that way. In fact, pardon me for just a moment here, see if I can get my clicker to working here. But in fact... The movies didn't always have opening credits. They didn't always have closing credits. Those things have shifted over the years as time has gone on. In 1956, one of the first movies to include closing credits was the movie Around the World in 80 Days. Some of you may recall seeing that or watching that even later. Or maybe you recall as well, in 1961, there was another movie, West Side Story. That it w- These were the first two movies to really include the closing credits as part of the movie. Now, if you watched our Facebook video that we put up to kind of preview the sermon, I gave you another little did-you-know fact in that the movie, the more recent movie, Iron Man 3, I've not seen it, but Iron Man 3 includes almost 4,000 names, 4,000 names in the closing credits, and of course runs for at least seven minutes, almost eight minutes in those credits to include all of those people that worked on that movie. Now you can imagine, it's great if your name is up there, but if your name is one of the 4,000 names that's listed in a movie there in the closing credits, you might be someone who kind of wonders if your name was even recognized. Now the closing credits are very important. Uh, Doing some research on that, you know, a lot of those are negotiated by the actors and the agents, by the studios. Many people who are included in those closing credits will get a job or more jobs by having their name included in participating in a movie. But at the same time, if you think about it, it's certainly possible to get what someone might say lost in the credits. If I feel like one among the 4,000 people that are listed, I might think that's great my name is in there, but I don't know if anyone else is going to recognize that. 
This morning we want to begin a series of lessons, and actually what, we, what I'd like to do, I've not set certain days to have the rest of this series, but after this morning, I kind of wanted to whet your appetite. I'd like to move it to Sunday evening, and we'll, we may skip around a little bit. In fact, don't forget the last Sunday night of the month, we'll be at North Hamilton for our, our bi-monthly singing. But I'd like to move this series to Sunday night, but I, I wanted you to think about it. I, I'd like for you to consider this idea of being lost in the credits. As we gather here every Lord's Day, what we're trying to do many times is make application. Application, spiritual application, to our life for maybe an earthly idea. Is it possible to be lost in the credits? Is it possible that there is a group of people in the Bible who might say, no one recognizes we're even here? You know, there's, I, I wonder if sometimes Silas might have said, well, I'm not Paul. I wonder if Gad or, or Simeon said, well, I'm not Levi or I'm not Benjamin. Someone else might say, I'm not Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. No one even knows my name. And in fact, there are some people in the Bible who play an important role whose names we don't even know. A few months ago, we talked about the youngest missionary. We had a sermon about the, the young girl, slave girl, who was a missionary and telling Naaman what he needed to do. But we never know her name. So I think it's certainly possible that there are a group of people who are lost in the credits. And if you think about it, I'm going to have to signal Heath here this morning to go a little further. My, my clicker's not working up here. I apologize. But there are certainly people who might be considered lost in the credits in the Bible, but yet they did something to contribute. By inspiration, they are included in Scripture. And I think it would benefit us to think about that. Go ahead, Heath. In fact, if you've got your bulletin with you there in the notes, we might call these people ordinary people who are made extraordinary by God. Ordinary people made extraordinary by God. Now think about that for a moment. Do you consider yourself to be ordinary or extraordinary? If you're like a lot of us, if you're like me, I kind of feel most days like I'm just an ordinary guy doing ordinary things. Most of the world doesn't even know I exist. And that's okay. But when we feel ordinary sometimes, we feel like we're not making a difference. But yet in the Bible, we meet a group of people in many different places. And again, if you'll be back with us, not this evening, but next Sunday evening maybe, and in the future, we'd like to continue to look at some of these folks. Because it's a good reminder that you don't have to be top billing. Your name doesn't have to be the first one to run in the credits to make an impact on someone or to make an impact on society. Ordinary people made extraordinary by God. And to this morning, we want to begin by talking about Jonathan. Jonathan. Now, when you say Jonathan, we might have a case as well of a mistaken identity. Go ahead and flip if you want to a couple times there, Heath. Thank you, sir. You might say, well, I know Jonathan. In 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 3, we meet the Jonathan who is a friend of David. The Jonathan who is King Saul's oldest son and the courageous general who does many things. We actually talked about this and Jonathan this morning in our Bible class over here in adult classroom number one about the things that Jonathan was able to do. You say, I know Jonathan. Jonathan might be, he might not be first. David might be top, but Jonathan might be second. But we're not talking about that, Jonathan. Or maybe you even recall from Judges chapter 17 and Judges chapter 18, another guy by the name of Jonathan who was a Levite. He came to the house of Micah and he hired himself as a priest in Micah's sanctuary. But yet at the same time, he left the small church, if you will, for the big church on the hill, and he was hired away by the Danites for more pay and more benefits. You might have heard the story of that Jonathan before. That's not the Jonathan we're talking about. 
There's another Jonathan, even this morning, who we might consider to be lost in the credits. Go ahead and fill up that slide if you want to, Heath, there. If you've got your Bibles this morning, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 21. 2 Samuel chapter 21. And if, you'll, if you're filling in your notes, 2 Samuel 21 is the answer there to the passage of Scripture that we're going to read together. But the parallel passage where this story of this Jonathan is found is found as well in 1 Chronicles chapter 20 and verses 6 and 7. Two verses. 2 Samuel 21, beginning in verse 20. Yet again, there was a war, or was war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature. Notice, he had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also was born to the giant. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, David's brother, killed him. Two verses about this other Jonathan that we read about. This is the Jonathan we want to talk about this morning. Now, as you know, especially in the Old Testament, there are a lot of stories sometimes that kind of are humorous to us or something that kind of makes us think a little bit. Sounds a little quirky, we might say. Have you ever met a giant with 24 digits there on his hands and on his, on his toes combined? Six fingers and six toes on each hand and each foot. Kind of interesting to think about. He was a man of great stature. We might call him a giant. It says there at the end of the verse, he was born to the giant. And then we meet Jonathan. If you go ahead to the next slide, Heath, and if you want to go ahead and fill up the whole one each time, that's all right. Who is the Jonathan that we meet this morning? Well, this Jonathan, as we notice here in verse 21, is the son of Shimea or Shema or Shema, depending on what version that you're looking at there. And Shimea is an older brother of David. So this Jonathan that we meet, the Jonathan that you may not have heard of before, and some of these lessons I'm borrowing from my father-in-law, I was listening to one of his audio lessons to kind of recall some of the points he brought out, and one of the things he said that I thought was kind of funny was, as we go through these lessons, if you heard of any of these people, you let me know in the back, all right? And maybe you have. Maybe you recall not only this Jonathan, but some of the folks that we'll talk about in the future, but maybe you've never heard of this Jonathan, but he is maybe well-known because of his family. He would have been a nephew, a nephew of David. And here in this account in 2 Samuel chapter 21, he kills a giant who had extra fingers and extra toes. Go ahead, he. When we come to his family background, if you've got your Bible, you might go back to 1 Samuel chapter 17 because as we think about Jonathan's family, in verse 13, we read that the three oldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next unto him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah, or Shammah, again, however you want to pronounce it. This is the person that we're talking about, Jonathan. This is his father. He is one of the three brothers of David. Now, if you've got your Bible open there to 1 Samuel chapter 17, you know what takes place here. It may even be well-worn in your Bible because you're familiar with this passage as we think about David and Goliath. We think about the three older brothers who are traveling out to battle here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You look on down into verse 26, and David speaks to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? And this is, the, this is one of my favorite verses from this passage. But for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Really briefly, if you recall, the armies of the living God are standing side, standing to the side. They're standing by while the Philistine, the, the giant, if you will, 
continues to taunt them. And not just taunt them, but taunt the living God. What a picture of God's people standing by while the the Philistine goes through this. And David, with some sense about him, walks up and says, What in the world is going on here? How could you allow this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the living God and say these things? And yet that's exactly what's taking place as David walks up on this particular place here. In verse 28, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, and this is the other part here that we love, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? I don't want to get too much on preaching on David and Goliath here this morning, but we know that here Eliab is is mocking him. He's sort of rubbing his face in it. Hey, little shepherd boy, what did you do with all those sheep? Who's watching over them? Why are you here? And David asked the same kind of question. He said, is there not a cause? David's ready, ready to make the stand against Goliath here. And then when we look on further, as we think about this family and the possibility of getting lost in the credits, There were other soldiers that were standing by, right, who witnessed this. There were other soldiers who witnessed what was taking place. And one of those would have been this Shema or Shimea again that was watching as his little brother, his little brother, slay the giant. But when we think about it, at least as it's recorded for us here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, he did not criticize David. He didn't criticize David as his older brother did, but they were there and they were listening Think about as well, if you've got your Bible there, to maybe turn back a page to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 9. What takes place there? Jesse is making his sons to pass by. And then Jesse made Shema pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. You see, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we don't get the exact case of what Shema is doing there. We know he's there. We don't know exactly where he's standing, but it's more than uh, likely that he heard these words. We do know that he was there in verse 9 as he passes by and it's said to be not this one. So we know there may be a little bit of animosity, a little bit of hard feelings between them. There's a lot going on in this family at this time. When we think about it, we don't know what he was thinking. This is Jonathan's father, Shimea. We don't know what he was thinking about David at this time. But is it possible? Is it possible that maybe his son, Jonathan, This nephew of David found an example that he could follow. We're not told that he was standing there at that moment. But is it possible that he was told about this later? I think certainly. Certainly the story of David and Goliath was obviously told again and passed down. So while Jonathan may or may not have been standing there, he certainly heard about this. Maybe he recognized that his father, whom he loves very much, but still stood by while his uncle, David, picked up the armor and was ready to go to fight this giant, to slay Goliath. When we think about this, Jonathan then, if you will, in the idea of being lost in the credits, becomes a bit of a role model outside the spotlight. Again, I would would wonder because I admit the first time I heard some of these lessons, uh, I never thought about Jonathan before, this Jonathan in that sense. So I don't think we would give him the spotlight. He's done something great, as we read about a moment ago, but I don't think he'd even get the spotlight in his own family there. 
So he does something that kind of becomes a role model outside of the spotlight. When we think about being a role model outside of the spotlight, we think about the examples that we give and the examples that we can learn from. There are examples set before us in the Bible. There's examples set before us in our country, in our own personal lives. And we have an opportunity every day as we come in contact with family members and friends to set an example. And we have to ask the question, is that a good example or a bad example? It's possible as well that it could be something that is helpful or it could be something that is harmful. It could be an example that needs to be followed. It could be an example that needs to be rejected. And when we think about Jonathan, when we think about David even as well, that's not the only place that we think about some of these things. Remember maybe in Numbers chapter 16, the example of Korah and the rebellion that took place there. There was a rebellion, but when you think about the sons of Korah, when you go over to the psalm, there are many psalms that were written or, or credit is given to the sons of Korah. So while Korah created a rebellion, stood up against Moses and Aaron in Numbers chapter 16 and sort of argued against their authority that was given to them by God, the sons of Korah even later were able to write some of these psalms, some of the same psalms that we sing even today. We think about Jesus' words there in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 6 through 16, about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. What is he talking about? He's talking about setting an example. Now, of course, Jesus is telling us to set the right example. But we have to ask ourselves every day with everything that we do. And that's tough sometimes. You know, being a Christian is tough sometimes. You've got to think about what clothes you put on in the morning. What clothes you put out to go exercise in. What clothes you put, you put on to go outside in the afternoon to work in the yard. You've got to think about the words that you're using when you go to work. You've got to think about the words you use when you're talking to your children or to those in the grocery store. You've got to think about the example that you're setting, that it's a good one. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, the words of the Apostle Paul there, Paul says, imitate me, be like me. Is that the pride that the Bible speaks of as one that we shouldn't have? No, because what does Paul say? He says, be like me as I am like Christ. That's the example we should be trying to set. That's the good example. Be like me. That doesn't have to be a prideful statement. When we follow it up, I'm trying to be like Christ. And as well, again, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17, the words of Paul there as he is writing to encourage, he says, brethren, join in following my example. That's the new King James. Be followers together of me there on the slide. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. He says, pay attention to the example that you're setting. Pay attention to the examples of others. It's important when we think about being a role model, for some of us maybe in some ways in the spotlight, but even as we consider this series of lessons being lost in the credits or outside the spotlight, it's important that we think about the example that we are setting. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 14, as well, Paul says there, and many of the brethren, brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What is Paul reminding those in Philippi of? I am in prison. I am in jail. I am in bonds, but that is okay. I can still set an example even in that way because others are able to speak the word without fear. They're able to be bold by the example that I am setting. Our influence and our example is very important. We have to think about that even as Paul encourages folks this way. Again, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. 
We're followers. Many times in life, we're followers. And we certainly know that many in the world are followers. Have you ever watched a group of children on the playground? We had the chance yesterday to take our kids to to play on the playground for just a few moments at the local elementary school and sitting there, you know, thinking back to the playground days. Have you ever watched a group of children on the playground or, or anywhere together? There's usually one, right, that heads up and everybody else kind of follows along and gets in line. Sometimes people aren't very good at being leaders. They're good at following. Are we becoming followers of Paul, followers of the Lord? As well, again, Paul to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We don't use this verse in this context very much or in in this sense, but Paul again is talking about the example that would be said. Of course, as we look at the words of the Apostle Paul, as we look at the words of Jesus, we know they're setting the right example, but we have to examine ourselves in the same way. And we have to remember and recall the fact that we won't always be in the spotlight. We won't always be the one whose name's at the top of the credits or the one that's on the marquee. But that doesn't mean that we don't still have a role to play. The question that's at the end of your bulletin, at least for this morning's outline, is a very simple one. Who's watching you? Who's watching you? Many people are watching us and we often do not even realize it. The picture that's depicted on the screen, if you're able to see it, of course, is the, the case that takes, uh, happens many times in our life as we think about a young person. We think about children who are uh, susceptible to having to watch their parents scream and fight and argue. And the kids are either standing by, cowering on the couch, or hiding in the other room. We don't always think about our children watching us. It's hard sometimes in the heat of the moment with anger, fussing and fighting going on. But many people are watching us. It's not just in the home, it's just one picture. Who's watching you in the grocery store, in the classroom, in the workplace? Many people are watching us, and we don't even realize it sometimes. We think we're not in the spotlight, so we feel like it doesn't really matter sometimes. But many people are watching us, and we need to think about that. As we think about this series, Lost in the Credits, God's kingdom is actually made up of a whole lot of Jonathans. Not the Jonathan that was a friend of David. But the Jonathan who gets two verses, just two little verses. You, you might open your Bible a thousand times and never turn to that page and read that story about this particular Jonathan. The Lord's church is made up of a lot of unsung heroes. A lot of people who are out there every day battling giants, if you will. Trying to slay demons, trying to fight the devil, trying to work every day for all of the, every inch You know, a lot of us here in the South are football fans. We consume it a lot over the course of a weekend. If you ever watch a game, you hear those guys on TV a lot of times say they're battling for every inch of ground that they can get to. Every yard is important. Same thing is true for us in our Christian walk. A lot of people aren't even noticed. They're not even talked about, and much less when we think about the world. But we are, as a church, we are as a kingdom made up of a lot of Jonathans. Who's watching you? That's what we need to consider. Are you an unsung hero to your children, to your wife, to your husband, to your relatives, friends, co-workers? I'm telling you, we, we many times get in our own little world, we get our blinders on, we get in our rut, and we think it doesn't matter. We think that nobody's paying attention to anything that we do, so sometimes we just don't do anything. And then other times we, we do the wrong thing. But it's all because we consider ourselves to be somebody that's not important. Somebody who would be lost in the credits. That's not the case. 
The case is true, just as it was for this Jonathan, that we can have an impact. Even if it's just one little short word about us. We can be an unsung hero to those in our lives. We can set the right example. Who's watching you? You know, maybe you're not doing the great things. You say, well, I've never led singing. I've never taught Bible class. I can't do any of those things. But who's watching you? If you're doing the right things, that can make a difference. Maybe, maybe you've been a parent before or you're still a parent, but your, your children aren't young. I, I think sometimes about, you know, what are our kids going to say about us? What are our kids going to remember? Are they going to remember the good times, the fun that we had? Are they going to remember the fussing, the fighting, the times they got in trouble? I don't know. We try to make the good times more than the bad, but certainly they all come together. But we never know sometimes. I, I know there's going to be that thing. I know there's going to be that thing in 20 or 30 years if we're all still alive that my kids are going to tell their kids. I remember when my dad did blank. And I may be happy or I may be mortified that I even said or did that. But that's just the way it goes. We never know when we're going to make an impact or someone or make a difference. Maybe we're not doing so-called great things, but we can be doing the right things. More often than not, it's what we do or say that affects others. We know the phrase, we've heard it said many times, that I would rather see a sermon than hear a sermon any day. It's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it's about. That's not a knock at the preacher. I don't take that personally that you maybe not want to hear a sermon every day. But I do know for many people that they want to see one. That others are going to look at you. It's the impact that you have in the community. It's why I stand up here and others from time to time stand up and share the word so that we make the right impact as a group of Christians working together every day with those that we come in contact with. It's hard. It's hard every day. It's hard because sometimes we get down and sometimes we don't feel important. Sometimes we feel lost in the credits. But just as this Jonathan did something great and was known for being able to slay this particular giant, we can do the same thing. Others can be reminded of our good influence and our great example. This morning as we conclude our lesson, as we sometimes do, we put up God's simple plan of salvation. You see, you can't begin to live faithfully if you're not a child of God. This morning, if you are here with us and you've never become gospel obedient, obey God's simple plan of salvation, we're thankful that he has still allowed you and others the time. It involves hearing the word of God, even as we have done this morning in our Bible classes and here together in this lesson, believing that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Jesus says there in John 8, 24, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. We have to believe. But we must also repent. Repent or perish is the words of Jesus there in Luke chapter 13 and verse 3. Repent or perish. It's kind of a simple question. Maybe hard to do, but a simple question. So we also have to repent of our sins. and We must confess that Jesus is the Son of God. As we think about Acts chapter 8 and verse 37 is that great confession is made. And the promise that's even made by Jesus uh, during his time here upon this earth. If you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And then we are baptized, immersed into water, not to have the dirt washed off of our skin, but the sin removed from our life by the blood of Christ. It's at that point that the Lord adds us to his church and we can begin to live faithfully. But that's difficult. It's hard. We wander away. We sin. Sin enters our life and separates us from God. But again, we're thankful to God this morning that we have time and opportunity to repent of our sins, to confess those before God, to pray for forgiveness. And he is faithful to do just that, that we can again walk in the light as he is in the light. Do you feel lost in the credits sometimes? Maybe you feel like this Jonathan. We hope that you'll be back because maybe you'll feel like some of the others that we're going to talk about. The good news is you have an opportunity 
even this very moment and in the next coming hours to set the right example as you leave, even if it is outside of the spotlight. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to become a Christian. Maybe you need to come back to him. Maybe you need the prayers of this congregation. We'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.